Welcome to the Opera Cheat Sheet. I'm Sinjin Flynn. And I'm Eric Skelly. And this week, we're exploring the topic of biblical opera, Eric, because in June 2013, San Francisco Opera premiered the brand new opera by Mark Adamo called The Gospel of Mary Magdalene. And it got us thinking about all those other operas that have taken biblical themes based on biblical texts, etc., because there are quite a few of them. Although not as many as you would think. I mean, when you consider that the Bible is the number one selling book and continues to be year after year after year, you would think that it would have, you know, really inspired a a plethora of of, uh, an avalanche of operas. And that's not quite been the case, although there there are certainly quite a few examples that you can point to. Maybe it's because of the sense of taking a biblical text, a sacred text, is sort of somehow blasphemous. But there again, in the oratorio tradition, which is not that dissimilar from from opera, there are so many sacred oratorios. True. And especially when you look at works that have made it into the standard repertory that, that uh, were taken from biblical texts like Samson and Delilah, for instance, the Saint-Saëns, Samson and Delilah. When you actually look at the text, there's not much to take from. (laughs) I mean, they don't spend a whole lot of time on the story of Samson and Delilah, but that then allowed uh, Saint-Saëns librettists to really expand and, and take some poetic license and, you know, make something of it. And that, of course, is one of the big examples of something drawn straight from the Old Testament. Exactly. Uh, Similarly, uh, there's Verdi's Nabucco. I mean, Nabucco was Verdi's first big hit. He was a very young composer. This was in his early period. Uh, it's It's the one that kind of put him on the map. But aside from the title character, Nabucco is, is short for Nabucodonosor, which is Italian for Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar. Right. Mm-hmm. And so aside from the title character and the, the, the Hebrew slaves in Babylon backdrop, the whole rest of it is just completely made up. It's, you know, it's straight <laughs> out of a soap opera, really. A uh-huh. uh-huh. um, little bit of operatic license. Little, a lot of operatic license. <laughs> but out of that comes the great chorus, Va Pensiero, which is basically Verdi's take on the, the, by the, by the waters of Babylon, the, the psalm uh, of the Hebrew slaves in exile, uh, which has, has been an unofficial national anthem of Italy, really. And there, there are some that would actually like it to become the official national, national anthem. anthem of Italy. Uh-huh. Other examples? Well, uh, there is Rossini's uh, Mosè in Egitto, which is a, a great role for a, a very virtuosic bass. Lots of great bases in our time have sort of taken that up. Um, again, it doesn't it doesn't really adhere very strictly. This is this is Moses in Egypt. Yeah, and it doesn't adhere really strictly to the Bible per se. In fact, I mean, in terms of in terms of taking from the Bible, I mean, it it does chronicle Moses leading the Hebrews out of bondage in Egypt, um, but they kind of veer off into this subplot with this love affair between the son of Pharaoh and Moses' sister. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) I don't remember those verses. I don't think so. I don't think so either. Um, Nobody told told Cecil B. DeMille, apparently, or I'm sure he would have incorporated that into the Ten Commandments. Yep. And then there's, of course, uh, Richard Strauss' Zalame, which is based on the Oscar Wilde play. And that's a case where, I mean, Oscar Wilde just took complete poetic license to do what he wanted because there isn't 
there's not a lot about Zalame in the Bible, really. In fact, in one uh, telling of the story, she, she isn't even mentioned by name. Zalame was the daughter of Herod, who uh, at the time of Christ, at the time of Christ's birth, was the, I think he was the Tetrarch of Galilee and Perea. Right, and she was his stepdaughter. Stepdaughter. Yeah. And she does the dance of the seven fails. She does indeed. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, the dismay of sopranos everywhere. Yes. <laughs> and at the time of Strauss's opera, it was not greeted with open arms by many people. Oh, no, quite the opposite, actually. It was pretty scandalous. What was it that made it scandalous? Well, let's see. <laughs> we have the themes of incest. We have necrophilia. We have potential nudity on stage. Uh, you know, take your pick. <laughs> <laughs> All wrapped up really in that sense of the dangers of female sexuality. Right. And in fact, that ties in quite closely to Mark Adamo's The Gospel of Mary Magdalene, uh, based on some of the, the Gnostic texts, some of those other gospels that sort of didn't make it into the, uh, the canon of scripture. Okay. And uh, where Mary Magdalene had a much closer relationship to Jesus. She was not the reformed prostitute of the New Testament. She was his number one disciple and certainly within the context of what Mark Adamo is, is writing, because he wrote his own libretto, she's also Jesus's lover, his wife. Uh-huh. Well, and while we're on the topic of, of, of taking uh, from texts that are not, strictly speaking, canon, we could look to Carlisle Floyd's Susanna, which is based upon a story from the Apocrypha of the Bible, and it's included in some Bibles, and in some Bibles it does not include the Apocrypha. In, in the Roman Catholic Bible, the Apocrypha is part of the canon of Scripture. Right. And that tells the story of Susanna, who was? Uh, Susanna, uh, you see, I have not actually read the Apocrypha. I only know the opera, uh, which is uh, takes place in a, in a valley in the, in the American South, and Susanna is a, uh, a young woman uh, in, in this rural, I want to say it's set in Tennessee, but I can't swear to it. And... Uh, she basically is wronged by, by the townspeople. Uh, some of the, the, the men in the town come upon her bathing. She thinks she's alone, and she's bathing in a, in, a, in a lake, in a pond, and she's, of course, you know, she has no clothes on. And that turns into this scandalous thing where she's branded as this, this vixen and this temptress, and it, everything kind of goes downhill from there. But basically the whole town turns against her based on libel, in essence. It's based on that story of Susanna and the Elders exactly. from the Apocrypha. And again, what's interesting is that it is something that revolves around female sexuality again. Right. Are there any biblical operas that don't revolve around female, female sexuality? sexuality? <laughs> well, let's see. Um, sure. <laughs> I mean, we have the Moses operas. We, we, we mentioned Mose and Egito before. There's also Arnold Schoenberg's Moses und Aaron, which is uh, a relatively faithful but very modern take on the story in the book of Exodus. Um, That's Moses and his brother Aaron. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, Darius Mio uh, did uh, an opera, David. Is that based on King David? Mm -hmm. uh, the first two chapters of the book of Samuel. 
that was premiered in 1954, so that's relatively recent. Then we also mentioned Nabucco. And uh, interestingly enough, Richard Wagner at one point wanted to do an opera called, I guess it would be Jesus von Nazareth. He wanted Jesus to do, of Nazareth. Yeah, he was going to go ahead with the Jesus of Nazareth work. And if he had completed it, if he'd, if he'd gone ahead with it, it would have fallen between Lohengrin and Das Rheingold hmm. uh, right before the, the start of the ring cycle. Um, he did a prose sketch for it. And uh, he also had started on a musical sketch, so hence the belief that it was going to be an opera. Uh, and then he ultimately just sort of abandoned the idea, which is unfortunate because it would have been interesting to see Wagner's take on the life of Jesus. But uh, alas, he didn't do it. So do these pieces have anything in common? I mean, they span uh, centuries, but is there anything that sort of ties them beyond just the fact that they have taken uh, an aspect of uh, a biblical text as a starting point? Only, I mean, no. <laughs> a lot of them, a lot of them that, that come from the, from the Old Testament uh, seem to take very little and, and make a lot of very little uh, and take a lot of poetic licenses. Although I, and I may be wrong in this, but but the ones that that do tackle the sacred texts of the New Testament do seem to adhere to the source material a little bit more closely. Uh, I'm sure there are probably uh, exceptions to that that I'm not thinking of at the moment. But and what's interesting in the case of Macadamo is that you have something based on texts that have only been discovered relatively recently. Uh huh. And so have given new creative outlets and creative potentials for opera composers. Indeed. We can only hope that uh, somebody else will take up the gauntlet and do another opera based upon the Gospels in, in order to, to give us another viewpoint and shed new light. Because if you think about it, there are so many stories like a, an opera about Adam and Eve, for example, would be, would be interesting, or Cain and Abel, or... Maybe Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. I mean, there is a story that is waiting for an opera to be written using it as as its base. Indeed. Biblical Opera. That's this week's Opera Cheat Sheet. I'm Sinjin Flynn. And I'm Eric Skelly. Thank you for listening.